Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. This week, A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business and Dan Mihalopoulos of WBEZ take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the week, like powerful friends helping vaccine line jumpers. Trump Tower in Chicago held an event last week to vaccinate its staff. And now WBEZ has learned 13 Cook County judges also were offered the vaccine at Loretto on March 8th. Illinois continues to loosen restrictions. No restrictions on restaurants or bars. There would be festivals, conventions, but don't go looking for Lollapalooza tickets just yet. And expand who can get the vaccine. Governor J.B. Pritzker announced his plan to expand vaccine eligibility to all residents 16 years old and older on April 12th. A.D., start us off with the governor's updated plans around COVID-19 in the state. So starting on April 12th, everyone in Illinois, 16 and up, will be eligible to get a vaccine in Illinois. Um, Chicago has its own allocation from the feds. They're expanding Not so quickly. They're expanding to what's called Phase 1C on March 29th. This is a ton of things for people to keep track of on top of figuring out where they can actually get a shot. The important thing for people to remember is we have to be patient. Supplies should pick up quite a bit later in April and in May. Um, Illinois is going to have some interim guidance between now and April 12th for the in-between people, like perhaps essential workers. Um, Illinoisans with certain underlying conditions have been eligible to get shots for a few weeks. Like I said, Chicago is opening that up on March 29th. We're doing a pretty good job on getting shots into people's arms in the state. We're averaging more than 100,000 vaccinations a day. Um, 13% of people in Illinois are fully vaccinated, but we have a lot left to go. Well, the governor says Illinois will move into this bridge phase when 70% of our seniors receive at least one dose of the vaccine. Let's listen. The first move forward will be into the bridge phase a transition period with higher capacity limits for businesses and gatherings. Illinois will move into this bridge phase when 70% of our 65 and older population receives at least one dose of the vaccine. Dan, talk about what this means for the state's economy. It's huge for the state's economy. Um, We've seen some bounce back in the past year from the initial shock of, of lockdown, essentially, and, and of various shutdown measures. But absolutely, I think uh, the more people are vaccinated, the more uh, we will see people out there participating in the economy. They can loosen restrictions, which they have for restaurants and other businesses. But if people don't feel the confidence, they're not going to be out there uh, nearly to the extent that they were before. Um, you know, you just look at downtown and uh, it's, it's unrecognizable compared to the vibrant uh, city center uh, that we once had. And so you're, you're still going to continue to see until the vaccinations um, uh, really 
roll out more quickly, you're still going to see a continued uh, situation of reticence on the part of the public uh, to be among crowds. So we now know that President Biden's goal is to get us back to normal by the 4th of July. He's directing all states to open vaccinations to everyone by May 1st. A.D., is this a feasible plan? It really depends on how quickly the federal allocations of vaccine doses get to the vaccinators. We've heard for weeks and weeks the city and state say, we're ready to go, we're ready to vaccinate a lot more people, but we just need the supply to pick up. And I'd also like to know what plans are in place to make it easier for people to sign up for vaccinations. I've still heard plenty of complaints from people not being able to find things, being confused about when and where they're eligible. And they also want a lot more transparency about what kinds of vaccines are offered in certain places. Um, This is going to be important for young kids, especially because the only vaccine that's available to 16 and 17 year olds is Pfizer. So you need to know where you can get a Pfizer vaccine. But I don't think the president would have made an announcement about May 1st eligibility if he wasn't confident that the supply that we're getting from Moderna and Pfizer and Mm -hmm. Johnson Johnson wouldn't be there. Yeah. This week, our governor also revealed that he hasn't taken the coronavirus vaccine, even though he's eligible. Uh, He says that he wants to wait until more people in his group are able to get their shots. But he's also traveling for work regularly. What What do you think, Dan? We're in an unprecedented situation, right, Sasha? And so some leaders, although it may not be their turn yet, are going ahead and doing it like uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot did. They feel that it's important to show people that they have confidence in the vaccine. I don't think there's any doubt that J.B. Pritzker has confidence in the vaccine. Um, This is not an anti-vaxxing thing on his part, but I think it's really important for everyone who's in a position of public authority or a position of public trust to be transparent about their own situation to the extent that they feel comfortable. Personally, I've done a lot of stories about vaccinations uh, very recently as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people jumping the line that we'll discuss later. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, I'm a member of the media. I'm under 65. And um, so it's not my turn yet, but the media is in group 1C. And so I, I will get a vaccine no sooner than March 29th when 1C begins. Right. A.D., give us a quick overview of Chicago's vaccination timeline and how it fits into state and federal plans. Right. So Chicago, like I said, has been complaining about uh, low vaccine supply. And Dr. Allison already has said over and over, I don't want to open this up to too many people and have everyone mad at me for forever because we have (laughs) demand far overwhelming supply. Chicago will begin phase 1C on March 29th. That opens things up to members of the media and a lot of other um, essential workers. So people in finance, working at banks, food and beverage, retail, higher ed, IT and communications, legal work, people that work at salons and barbershops, construction, real estate, hotels. And the real estate and hotel part in conjunction with these announcements that we're getting about large gatherings being allowed to start again pretty soon is really important, like Dan said, for Chicago's economy. But I think it will continue to lead to a lot of confusion among people that maybe live in Chicago or work in the suburbs or work somewhere else in the state about where they can get a shot and where they're eligible. Loretto Hospital on the west side is making headlines right now for for wrongly vaccinating ineligible workers at Trump Tower. Uh, Block Club Chicago broke that story. And Dan, you've also been following the issue. What's the latest? Yeah, what we found um, in the last couple of days, in addition to that event at Trump Tower, 
there was a, a judge, a presiding judge in Cook County Circuit Court who sent an email to 13 other judges on March the 8th saying, uh, come on down to Loretto Hospital this afternoon, bring your spouses or another, quote, second person of each judge's choice. Um, and that, you know, they would get their first shot from Pfizer uh, there that day at Loretto Hospital. Problem is, uh, judges, being a judge in and of itself, is not a 1B group. They are doing work by Zoom. They've done a million and a half hours of court calls in Cook County Circuit Court in the past year, strictly via Zoom. And so they are essential workers, but they are not frontline. And so they're not eligible until 1C. And yet we have this email going around, which, you know, now Loretto Hospital has admitted it was a mistake for them to vaccinate ineligible people at Trump Tower and, and people that got that email as well. Yeah. What is the city saying about this in the in the hospital? What's their response? Yeah, I mean, the hospital at first um, tried to make various excuses. Now they say they made a mistake and that it was uh, due to confusion over what the rules were and not, not a willful uh, ignorance or willful attempt to violate the rules. That was not enough to stop Mayor Lori Lightfoot from saying, look, I, I've seen these stories and we can't have this happening. We cannot have um, people jumping the line and especially not in communities like where Loretto Hospital is, the Austin community, mm -hmm. uh, largely black, largely low income, hit very hard by the pandemic. And there's a scarcity still of vaccines relative to that demand. And so she has actually cut off first doses to Loretto Hospital for at least a week or until the city is convinced that they're following the rules. And she's threatening to do the same thing to any other hospital that is breaking those guidelines, which pretty clearly set out who's eligible now and when other people will be eligible. Of course, you know, we remember Loretto Hospital being the first to administer COVID-19 vaccines here in the city. It, it was a very symbolic choice, of course, because majority of the patients there are, are, are black. What questions remain unanswered for you in this, A.D.? I think that broader question of are all of our vaccinators vaccinating the people that they're supposed to. What role does clout, if any, play in uh, in this? Our, we only found out about this because of a tip that, that Block Club got and that people like Dan got. Right. Um, we might begin to hear more things like that. Nick Dumke just tweeted this, and I totally agree. The big picture is that the vaccination process has been confusing and people need their shots. But in the meantime, here's how disparities, clout, and connections work. Um, it's really disappointing to see... Um, such a chicago thing play out where people who are friends of friends get first in line. So I, I'll be interested and concerned to see if this is playing out elsewhere. This is the most Chicago story, really, that I've seen since I, I covered uh, snowplows going way out of their, their tracks during the Super Bowl blizzard a few years ago so that they could take care of the side street that Alderman Ed Burke lives on. Only this is not just snow removal. This is a much higher stakes, much more emotional life and death issue. Right. That's WBEZ's Dan Mahalopoulos. He's here alongside A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business. 
AD, Dan, let's jump to some other big stories that broke this week. Beach lovers have always enjoyed free parking in some areas. That's about to change near Montrose Beach and Harbor. And people who use it are not happy. Hearings starting this week will inform how Illinois Democrats will draw maps for the state legislature and Congress. The time for an end to gerrymandering is now. After a shooting spree in Atlanta leaves eight dead, six of them of Asian descent, national and local political leaders denounce the violence and offer messages of support to Asian Americans. Any crime against anyone in our communities is a crime against all of us. Let's talk about Tuesday's deadly attack in Atlanta. Eight people killed in a shooting spree. Most of the victims were Korean-American women. Dan, this comes amid a spike in hate crimes targeting the Asian-American Pacific Islander communities. It's uh, something that makes me think of uh, all the times that former President Donald Trump referred to the quote, China virus, with all apologies to everyone who's offended by that term. The president used it. In fact, there's a photo of him marking out the name of the coronavirus and writing China over it. So is this a coincidence that we have these things going on after this sort of rhetoric? Or is there a correlation and causation there? And I think many people in a community that is frightened, that is justifiably worried, I think they would lean toward the side that there is causation there. And just before we came on here, uh, I was reading about another elected official defending the use of another racially charged term Mm. to refer to the coronavirus, which I won't repeat, um, and equating that racially charged term with saying, you know, something like the, quote, UK variant of the coronavirus. And suffice to say, this other term that, that this elected leader was using uh, was not like saying the UK variant. It was uh, something that was certainly derogatory toward Asian Americans and could be prompting the sort of violence that we have uh, seen increasingly. Shameful. Um, Mayor Lightfoot spoke out as well. She called what happened in Atlanta a hate crime, even though local authorities say it's too early to make that call. Let's listen. Make no mistake about this. This was a hate crime. It was a hate crime against obviously the immediate victims, but it was a hate crime against our entire Asian and Pacific Islander communities. This was a crime against Asian women. And this was a crime that has shown a harsh light on the anti-Asian violence and hateful rhetoric of our former president. AD, what do you think here? It's so, so tragic. It's tragic, and it's something that has been prominent since the beginning of the pandemic. I remember very early on, uh, Mayor Lightfoot going specifically to Chinatown because people were not visiting over fears of the coronavirus way back in February and March of last year. The advocacy group Stop AAPI Hate said it's received 4,000 reports of hate incidents against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the past year, and that's likely severely underreported. And anecdotally, I've just been reading a lot about fear right now among the Asian community specifically, but more broadly about the return, unfortunately, of, of mass shootings here. The way that this 21-year-old shooter was handled by the police. Police have given no indication that any of the victims were sex workers, though some of the businesses were targets of prostitution rings. Right. There are big conversations to be had about the ways that Asian women are sexualized that I'm not equipped to speak on, but this has just brought up so much tragedy in, in one incident. Well, then. CPD says that it's it's going to step up patrols in neighborhoods with significant Asian American and Pacific Islander populations. That might make some residents feel safer, but 
there is this history of mistrust, right, between police and the community? Yeah, absolutely. There's mistrust between the police and all the communities and particularly uh, people of color. I think when you uh, look at representation of Asian Americans in the political circles, as well as in um, public life, uh, including the police department, uh, you will find an underrepresentation, frankly, that we find in the media as well. But in the case of the Asian community, obviously, there have been Asians in Chicago for, for over a century. But in many cases, you have a growing community with more recent immigrants, people that are more focused, like a lot of immigrants from all parts of the world, on their own um, families, on their own economic uh, survival. And they are um, focusing on work and, and businesses, many cases, small businesses. And so we only had the first Asian alderman elected, what, about 10 years ago, uh, was a South Asian and, you know, still considerable underrepresentation at all levels of government, as well as in law enforcement of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Let's turn now to some state news. This week, Illinois lawmakers kicked off the once in a decade task. They're redrawing the lines for the state legislature in Congress. A.D., what can you tell us about the process? I have been anxiously awaiting the remap for a lot of reasons. The politics of it, who controls what, who wins and loses as a result of the map. And this COVID wrinkle just makes all of that way more complicated. So because the census was such a mess this year between delays, changing rules, the immigration question debate, and COVID, the data that map makers usually expect to get by the end of March won't get here until September. Mm. So the problem in Illinois is several fold. We have a constitutional deadline to get a map approved by June 30th. If we don't, it goes to a bipartisan committee that always ends in both sides disagreeing. We also have a very early primary, the third earliest in the country in 2022, that puts unique pressure on the maps to be ready so that people running for office actually know where their district is. And because we're going to lose probably at least one seat in Congress, maybe two, that means we have to do more line moving than if we weren't. Like the other districts we have remaining have to gobble up the portions of that old one. So it's a, it's a lot of problems yeah. confronting map makers all at once, leaving aside the politics, which is like another fascinating aspect that I'm sure Dan knows more about than I do. Well, we'll pick up where AD left off because she mentioned uh, it's still unclear whether we're going to lose one or two seats in Congress. What's at stake, Dan? A lot is at stake. And let's back up and I think explain it on a more ele- elemental basis. From the I beginning. Know, a, no, right, <laughs> and, the thing is, the thing is, AD and, uh, and, and I are, are political geeks and all of us like to look at the, the political ramifications of it. And I, I think a lot of times this seems impenetrable to the average uh, person. But, you know, the the huge impact of it, to answer your question, is that um, it's representation of different communities. It's representation of the state relative to other states in Washington. And for the last, I would say, 20 years, probably since the 2000 remap, there's been such good mapping software that there's all sorts of tricks that the map makers can play. One of my favorite stories from about 20 years ago was, uh, you know, going to see a guy who mounted a strong challenge to a congressman. I think it was in the northwest suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the next uh, remap before the, the next election, when he could challenge that congressman again, oops, the line got drawn like two blocks <laughs> away from this guy's <laughs> condo. And suddenly it's like, OK, you can run against him 
but you have to move uh, basically to win. And so they try to make it as difficult as possible. Obviously, the issue of gerrymandering, too. You see these districts when you look at them on a map that look like a salamander or like a sea. And that's done for, for a reason. But look, there have been efforts since very early in the past decade to change the process significantly. And there was a huge pushback. Uh, we don't need to name names of the last uh, Illinois Speaker of the House and Democratic Party chairman, you know, cough, cough. No, no, no go cough. ahead. Mike, name names. Mike Maddox. <laughs> but there's, there's what are you talking about? Res- there's tremendous resistance. Uh, map making is a way that people who are in power have often sought to perpetuate and expand their power. And we see it in other states, too. Look at Wisconsin. More people voted for Democrats than for Republicans in their state legislature. But the legislature is majority Republican because the map making is done that way by both sides when they have the chance to do so to protect themselves. Well, as we're getting ready to wrap here, I want to quickly touch on another story. Parking meters for the first time at Montrose Harbor. Dan, what's going on here? Well, although it was in the budget, I guess, that they were going to do this. And and really, they've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, Suddenly, they're installing parking meters in a place where people like to go. One of the last places where where people can park uh, for free near near the lake. So people are upset about it. I noticed that yesterday with the wind, and and I'm sure you noticed at Navy Pier, some big waves. So I was joking Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, maybe it's just the Greek in me, but that Poseidon is in the Great Lakes too. And he's not happy about (laughs) the meters at Montrose Beach because uh, the waves were giving a pounding to the whole uh, lakeshore. So AD, why is the city doing this now? Oh, they need money. It's always because they need money. Always Um, the money. So the budget plan included a provision to install 96 parking pay boxes covering about 750 spots, mostly on the north side near downtown. I live right by Montrose, and the other part of this is, like, I appreciate how open and free it is for people to go. It's a super diverse, non-bro-y, non-bougie beach in Chicago, and if that goes away, I'll, I'll miss it terribly. But, yes, these parking meters are being installed for money reasons, like so many other things in Chicago. That's it for the weekly news recap. Thanks to our panel today, WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos and Crane Chicago business reporter A.D. Quigg. Dan and A.D., have a great weekend. And that's the weekly news recap. If you love deep dives into the news stories that affect you and your family, make sure you're subscribed. And remember, our weekly Q&A with Dr. Mia Taramina drops on Sunday morning. It's the latest and best information on the pandemic and the vaccines. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.